What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, and this episode is specifically part of the Whitetail Series segment within my podcast. The Whitetail Series is 27 episodes in total, nine based around the early season, nine based around the pre-rut and rut, and nine based around the late season. So if you're having problems in one of those sections of the seasons, just sit down, binge these episodes. You'll get a lot of tips, a lot of tactics, a lot of strategies, You know, different types of places and areas to hunt and different types to try public land and private land, and you just get a lot of information and hopefully a lot of entertainment. I have guests on here from the Midwest, the East, and the South, so you're gonna it's going to likely retain relevancy for everybody. And then also these podcasts are going to be airing two to four weeks in advance of that section of the season so that you should be able to use the tactics that you listen to this year in your season this fall. So I hope it's a huge value to you guys. I really wanted to do it for myself, and I thought this would be a great share for everybody else. I also have a couple partners with this one, Onyx Hunt and Arrow Hunter Saddles. A couple great companies helping me advertise and push this out to everybody and just hopefully make everybody a better hunter and more successful this fall. Onyx Hunt, if you don't know, is a GPS mapping app where you get satellite maps, uh, topo maps, hybrid maps. It shows public and private land boundaries, which is a big reason that I got it. But uh, you can add waypoints, trails, all that kind of stuff as well. But the biggest reason I got it is because it works offline. A lot of the places I hunt don't have data, don't have service. So I can cache all those maps on my phone, walk around, and I still have all my waypoints. I can still use my GPS. And then as far as Arrow Hunter saddles go, like for me, Arrow Hunter saddles makes the most comfortable saddle, the Kestrel Flex. The Merlin just came out. Um, and if you're getting into saddle hunting or you want to try it, I really encourage you to take a look at them. Like I, like I said, I tried a few different saddles on. And the Kestrel Flex just fit me the best and was the most comfortable. And um, I, I, I really like them and most adjustable. Also, they're 100% made in the USA, which is a phenomenal piece. Um, I'm a big USA supporter. And if I can get keep all those jobs here in the US, I will for sure. So uh, go check those guys out if you're looking into saddles. Also use the code DVAIN10, that's the letter D and then VAIN, then the number's one zero at checkout and you'll get 10% off a saddle. All right. Without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. All right, I'm recording. Uh, today, I got Nathan Crick with me from Identical Draw Outdoors. They got a really cool project called the Kansas 80, where they bought 80 acres. They're in their second year of hunting it, and they're documenting the whole process and how, how they're planning food plots, how they're setting up stands, how they're planning their entry and exit routes, all that kind of stuff. Really fun to follow. Plus, they do uh, some public land hunting as well in Kansas and Nebraska for whitetails. So welcome to the podcast, Nate. Appreciate having you on, man. Yeah. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, so I gave that quick intro, right? Why don't you talk a little bit more about the Kansas 80 and yeah. just where you guys are from and all that stuff? Yeah. So me and my brother, Thomas, who run Identical Draw, we're from Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, they're also twins, up. by the way. Yeah, identical cool. twins. Yeah, <laughs> so bow hunters. We do pretty much everything our It tree. freaked me out the first time. Actually, I watched your show. I was like, "God, these like, how yeah. is this guy taking these shots and looking the exact same? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> how are, yeah. how is he doing yeah. all this editing?" I was like, "Oh, identical draw. It's twins. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but we we grew up in Nebraska doing a bunch of pheasant hunting. And then I was kind of the first one to break away and start doing all the archery. Um, with turkeys and deer to follow. And then Tom, he picked up on everything really fast too. And, um, and then we went to a Heartland bow hunter film school, kind of got us in the whole editing 
and photo filming side of things. Um, those guys were awesome kind of getting us for sure. And that's how we started filming things and going all over the place doing stuff. So yeah, as far as, as far as Kansas 80, we have hunted, I mean, Nebraska for a long time and we just had either public ground or permission from friends. And, uh, we've, our family's been looking for property for a long time. And I had a buddy who works for a um, land agent company and he, he texted me, let's see the winter of 2019. He's like, dude, I have a property that you and the family need to come check out in Northeast Kansas. And I was like, I was like, already Kansas is a good thing. Northeast Kansas is a really good thing. Cause it's going to be close to home. So I was like, all right, we will be there next week. Sure enough, went there the next week, loved it, put an offer on it, way, <laughs> under, the, way under the asking price, and they took it. No. So that's how we nice. got the property. That's um, the advantage of knowing a realtor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh, I mean, it was, just, it was just meant to be. So, we've, yeah, we've been managing and hunting it now. This will be our second season this fall. So Nice. Awesome. That's cool, man. So when did you go to the Heartland Bowhunter Field School? I was also there. Oh, man. That was summer of... 2016 I think 2016 okay yeah. I was there when I was 21 so I was there 2000 no I was 22 it was 2012 gotcha so yeah I went there a long time ago <laughs> those guys are awesome I Mike and Sean do a great job yeah yeah they're they're both going to be on the podcast as well so oh, yeah yeah yep great guy um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So then the property you guys bought, was that already ma- set up, managed for deer hunting or was it just it was, a slate? It's really weird. The thing I loved about it right away, looking at like an aerial, it's just this giant chunk of timber. It's like out of the 80 acres, probably 75 acres of it is just thick timber. And, but the guy that was running it was running cattle on that stuff and he was like thinking about getting rid of all the trees and but he owns a ton of property so i think he just was like nah i'm gonna sell it and save myself the work sell it and so i hadn't been hunted or managed for deer in like 10 years so oh nice yeah so as soon and we knew <laughs> we know people in the area that got permission every once in a while but it was not hunted hard for a long time and so right away we were freaking chomping at the bit trying to get on there and um the buddy who gave me the tip for the property. He set a camera out there for a few days in January and had a few decent bucks on there already. So I knew it was going to be good, but even like the first year of hunting it, I mean, it was better than anything I've experienced in Nebraska for my entire life of hunting deer. So that's awesome. Kansas just does it, does it right with the whole management and tag stuff. So. Yeah. So, and for Kansas, um, my neighbor hunts Kansas every year and he had mentioned to me, he's like, you have to put it in for a draw, but it's pretty much a hundred percent draw. Yep. Like that the same in your area? Yep. Yep. It's, it's like 98%. So you, the okay. odds are good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You gotta be a, you gotta have a, some real bad luck to get in that 2%. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Karma's coming for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, okay. So you got this new piece, um, mainly managed for cattle and now you're essentially building it back up, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're building it for hunting. Yep. Um, yeah, basically, yeah. So first, so first steps there, like, you know, are the first year, did you guys, did you guys plant plots or did you just like hang it and hunt and figure it out? So it was actually 
it was a mixture of super fun and actually really intimidating to go to a new property that I was like, we knew it was going to be good whitetail hunting, but figuring everything out, you're just, it's hard not to second guess yourself, but right away that spring we, so we bought the property in a, in February and that spring, um, well we, we shed hunted it and we yeah. found some big sheds. We're like, okay, this is going to be good. Um, on 80 acres, we found I think 12 sheds. So we have nice. a lot of the bedding and like there, there weren't any dinky sheds. They were all like, like at least three and a half year old buck or more. We were like, this is impressive. Um, yeah. and so that spring we're, uh, we work with the QDMA, um, which is now actually like the NDA, but they, we had two guys, um, Matt Ross and Alex Foster, they came to the property and they helped us. I mean, they just gave us a whole rundown of the property of like some good ways to manage it where we could possibly put food plots and kind of with their help, we set up this whole thing and started, we, we got connected with a local farmer in the area because Thomas and I have no farming or food plot background. <laughs> and so he helped us right away. We had a, like a three acre um, bean plot, which is like the only place it wasn't um, heavily timbered. Um, it's just a okay. pasture. So that was a pretty easy conversion there. And then we also did start doing a bunch of, timber sand improvement throughout the property because some of it is really good timber. Um, there's a Creek that runs through the middle of it and it's really good timber. You've got like your oaks and some walnuts and some big timber trees down there, but along the pasture, you've got honey locusts and hedge trees that are just gnarly and don't do much for deer. So we're starting to strategically get rid of some of that stuff, sure. but yeah, it's been just full force managing. Um, but hunting over that, that food plot was completely different thing because having the land that we just had permission on in Nebraska, we never hunted over food plots at all. I mean, yeah. you basically out of the whole year, you either had to get really lucky to just catch a buck running through the timber, or you'd have to wait till the rut and have a few good weeks when the deer are actually in the timber. But now we can hunt over food sources, early season, late season, and stuff like that. So that was, that was a huge, huge help. Nice. So, yeah. Oh, and we're in similar, so we're in similar boats. You brought, you bought a property in February we uh my family bought a property in august of last year yeah so, um so i didn't have i didn't have like hardly any time to scout it right i i had about a month um and this will be my first year as well planning i planted a food plot and it is a sad looking food plot yeah, <laughs> I'll, tell, yeah. I'll tell you what it was uh we killed it we just planted it this weekend um it's mm -hmm. august what is it right now august 15th yeah, yeah august 16th yeah we just planted it yesterday um killed it a couple weeks earlier and then we went to go like turn it up all sorts of stuff went wrong ended up just raking it out by hand it's not very big but mm -hmm. we'll see how it shakes out you know it's a small little plot it could be a good little kill plot could be just enough to get something to come in early season right. i don't know it's something that i'm brand new to and really is trying to learn yeah. um but uh the reason i want food plots on the property is because one of the big things I learned last year was three of my, the four good bucks I had on camera were shot between October 25th and November 2nd by three neighbors who are all retired old men and they just hunt all, they all live on the property and the hunt the property. Yep. So one of the things I was like, thinking about was like man if i want to kill a good buck next year i got to do it before october 25th before these other guys start hunting right so that's just like a a thing that i had but in general so this podcast is going to be centered around the early season 
Mm -hmm. right? And I wanted to give that background of your property so people kind of understood where you were coming from. Yep. So then when you bought the property in February, you said you shed hunted it. And that was pretty much the first scouting experience on that property is trying to understand where everything shakes out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, I will tell you too, we bought it in February, 2019. Yep. So this will okay. be our, yeah. So this will be our second, yeah. Second season. Yep. Yep. Okay. So then, um, so did you like spend a lot of time out there scouting, looking around in February, March, April, just really trying to get the lay of the land? Yeah, a ton, a ton that first year after we bought it. Yeah, which shed hunting is so nice. I mean, after we covered that property a few times looking for sheds, I mean, we had a pretty good lay of the land and had an idea of how we wanted to hunt it. I mean, with that, that, that creek that I already mentioned that goes through basically the spine of the property, that's, that's a good travel route right away. Um, it's some lower ground with ridges and like as a whitetail hunter, that's kind of some big things you look for. And of course, with the amount of bucks in the property, you're seeing old scrapes and rubs like that. So I'm, I'm just marking things on X left and right. I mean, <laughs> after those first few trips, my, the, the 80 acres just looked like a red dot field. I mean, <laughs> I had so many things that I was trying to map out in my head. So For it was sure. looking back on it. I was like, I'm glad I took all that Intel, but there's so much that you just, really learning a property you just gotta hunt it that's 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 how much so much of the learning happens so uh, my property looked like that too and i was so happy when onyx introduced the filters like a month mm -hmm. ago or so so you can actually filter out by scrape or yep. by stand or something like that yep. because my property was just a jumbled mess of waypoints mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like trying to decipher you know the egyptian uh hieroglyphics when i was looking at that thing yeah so um so you, so you got all your scouting done. What if, what if you were in my shoes? Um, or so you got all your scouting done in the early season, you got it all figured out. So then did you hang stands like in March or did you wait until August, September to set up? We waited. So, um, I think we put a lot of our stands up in July during okay. the summer and cut lanes and stuff like that. But we always, Thomas and I always leave one or two stands out because we're like, I know we're going to see things and want to make adjustments after the season starts. So we usually have three main stands, like going into like an early season, we've got like a few good ones on food sources, depending on how much food sources we have. And then one on just a really good general travel corridor. And then we usually okay. leave one out for, Hey, when that, when that October shift happens and they're hitting like scrape lines hard or that whole transition. So sure. Yeah. Okay. So then, um, two things, travel, travel intersection, and then mm -hmm. the food source. Let's start with the food source. Mm -hmm. What are you guys looking for, for a food source in the early season? Yeah. So think? the, the, the only food source we had last year to hunt was three acres of beans. Um, okay. but we did our, our buddy, Kevin, who does the farming, he no-tilled over a mixture of some late season stuff too, a bunch of brassicas and things like that. I think that was a huge, huge game changer um, to having, having, keeping those deer around basically all fall because as soon as the beans went more brown, they still had green leaves in there and still had a good food source. So that's what we were hunting really hard last year. In the late season. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so mainly beans. And when does your season open just for reference? Yeah. So Kansas opens, I'm pretty sure it's the same last year, September 14th. Okay. So yep. then the beans are still green at that point. Beans are still green. Yep. Not yellow. So that, we're hunting that food source pretty heavy early season. 
Okay. So then for your stands on that food source, you know, can you walk me through, like, do you need a perfect wind? Are you, are you, uh, what's your entry and exit route? Like, are you right on the field edge? Are you 10 yards back off the field edge? How are you actually setting up on that three acres? Yeah. So that was honestly the hardest thing about hunting it for the first year. Cause we were like, I remember sitting in the, in the tree stand being like, we could be screwing this up. Like, we don't know exactly where these deer are coming from. We're not sure. Like we have a good idea where the bedding is, but the issue is, I mean, the, the perfect wind for us was a Northwest wind. So pushing Southeast and that would run basically behind us into some trees that had just very little growth. And we knew, we don't think like very many deer are bedding there. Um, they're more bedding in the North area of the, of the bean plot. So basically our, our three acre bean plot, it's a, it's along the West side of our property, which is also okay. kind of along the road. Um, so I don't know if you've seen anything of what we've done, but we have a row of Egyptian wheat that goes along the road. So that's our, that's our barrier. That's the first thing that makes us feel good about hunting that. Cause we don't have to worry about cars coming by people stopping, seeing deer, whatever. For so, people who don't know what Egyptian wheat is. Yeah. Explain that? It's basically just a, I mean, it's just tall grass. Okay. That's just a really like good how tall? cover. Um, just, it's basically just a screen for protection. So you can, okay. I mean, you cannot see through it. We plan it like it's about, I think we planted about eight to 10 feet wide. And then it, the Egyptian wheat grows, I mean, 12, like at least 12 feet tall. So yeah. it is a big screen. So people can't <laughs> see on your property at all. And that also helps us so we can pull up their park on the one side of the Egyptian wheat, slip through, and we can go straight to our bean, bean plot. So um, to access it, we have to, we walk through our bean plot, but it's like we take the, sh like the skinniest part of the bean plot to walk through and then up into the tree right on the field edge. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. No, and that, and that makes sense. Um, that's a really cool way to access. And when you have private having that screen, mm -hmm. yeah. helpful. cause if, like you said, the deer are betting on that North side and you don't have that screen, you pull up the park and they mm -hmm. can just eyeball you the whole way. Right. 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 Yep. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then are you, are you in the woods? Um, you said, how many sands do you have on the food source? You said two or oh. three. We have, well, right now we've only been hunting with one on the bean food source, but we're okay. going to have a second this season. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. So why, um, why the second one? Just they come into the field differently or what? Yeah, they, they, it's because like the movement we've noticed is really like, it's either northerly or like way on the south end. So on the south wind, and if we're, if we're sitting in that more north stand, they won't catch our wind. It, it kind of works weird, but so we kind of want one more north and more south. So and it's also, also how the last year planting was so wet that a lot of our beans in the south didn't come in great, but this year they came in huge. And it's actually been some of our, like the most action we've had on that plot down there. So now we're like, we need to get this thing down there. So over. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, that makes sense. Um, so then the travel intersection, that was the next thing you talked about. So mm -hmm. what, like, I mean, are those just trails like in a kind of a funnel or tell me about that a little bit? Yeah. So the reason we like that is because it's, we have high ground and then it cuts off low to that Creek. And okay. so you've got the bean plot on the high ground and then you've got timber and really good bedding and then you got the drop off to the Creek. And so we like to hunt that high ground in between the food source and dropping off to the creek where they like to travel on that. So basically 
that's our pinch point along the food in the, in the Creek right there on that high ground. And okay. we just noticed, I mean, just walking the property, lots of scrapes, like the biggest section of scrape lines in there. And sure enough, we hit a camera on there and that was just happened to be one of the best travel routes up there. So we noticed on our 80, the deer move North and South. And that just happened to be that kind of ledge that they'd work along. And if they wanted to bed there, be close to a food source, they do that, but otherwise they'd just be moving along there. So. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also just for reference, I'm trying to picture your property in my head. Yeah. Is yep. your 80 like 240 squares and are they north south to each other or east west? Yeah, it's basically like a it's a long triangle, north south. A long triangle? Or a long sorry, long long rectangle. <laughs> okay, I was like, yeah. man, I wonder how that breaks yeah. up. <laughs> I got my shapes off. <laughs> it's yeah. fine. Yeah. Geometry is hard. man my in my property like it's not even in squares like i couldn't even mine's like you know more than an octagon it's like a decagon (laughs) um so okay so you just got that you got that travel route kind of how far off the beans are is that travel route is it like 10 yards or is it like 100 no it's like yeah it's like mm, 60 to 80 yards off okay yeah. I, the reason I ask is because a lot of times when you're on a food source, public land, private land, whatever it is, there is generally a deer trail that parallels that food source, yep. like five to 10 yards off the edge, mm-hmm. right? So they can just walk that woods edge and just look out there mm-hmm. without exposing themselves. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if that's what you guys were on or if you were on something a lot deeper, right. you know, that 60 to 80 yards is a lot deeper. Yeah. And the, the reason that that's a really good point, but the reason, the thing we've noticed is along our field edge is so thick it's these nasty hedge trees that have these branches coming out like crazy so i think it kind of pushes them either in the field or in this more open travel corridor i can show you i know people on might not be able to see it on the uh podcast but you can kind of see so if you can see like this oh yeah more opening line so that's what yeah this is really thick and this green this is our where we have beans right now gotcha kind of see how that so yeah so podcast land, what Nate's showing me is he's got like a three acre bean plot that's north to south. So, you know, an acre and then an acre south and then an acre south. And then he's got a real thick tree line. And then probably like 60 yards to the east of that, there's almost, it's almost like a small pasture that just runs north to south. It's just green grass with a few trees in it. So you can actually just straight up see it on a satellite map. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. That makes for great shooting lanes too. Oh yeah. It's perfect. And I can yeah. definitely see how that would be without cattle in there, how deer would just come through there and scrape that up. Yep. A lot easier so, to travel, quicker yep. to travel. It's actually really interesting. We looked up, um, old maps old satellite pictures from like the 50s and 60s and that the second cutoff that travel route that we've been that we've been hunting that used to actually be the edge of the whole pasture so those all that that old the young and thick hedge trees that's just that used to be the pasture like a long time ago but it's all grown in and stuff like that so gotcha yeah that's why that's i think that's why that opening is because it used to be the field edge gotcha Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so earlier you mentioned, um, you mentioned cameras, like you said, you were getting a lot of action in the South end of your plot. Mm-hmm. Plus on that field, on that travel corridor, you were, um, you said you got some action there. So in terms of just for early season, you know, how many cameras on 80 acres are you guys running? And uh, mm-hmm. what do you, I mean, where are you putting them? Yeah. So Thomas and I, we, we run a lot of cameras and we, 
we run a mixture of regular cameras and we have some Spartan cell cameras that okay. have been huge for us. But um, so I guess early season right now, we've got, we've got 200 bean plot and then we've actually, we made a third, well, I guess a, main, a second plot on the south um, part of our property. So now we've got three like food source cameras right now. And then okay. we've got just from the history of last year, we have a handful more on good travel routes, creek crossings and things like that, that are usually pretty much good all year round. But right now it's heavy on the bean plot right now on field edges and stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. So just looking at those food sources and seeing what you're seeing. Yep. Yep. Right? Big time. That yep. makes sense. Okay. So then if you guys, um, this is kind of just a, a scenario question for you. Mm -hmm. If you were, if you were coming into this property right now, like pretend you, you had, a, you just figured out that you wanted to bow hunt this year. Right. Yeah. And you're a person, um, you got no clue. You watch all these TV shows and everybody just sits on the field edges and kills deer. Right. Yeah. Um, what, and you, you got permission. Like I have, I have a lot of people who actually have these scenarios where they're like, yeah, I want to bow hunt my, uncle has a buddy who has property and they said I can bow hunt it and no one else bow hunts it. Mm -hmm. Or you always hear these pure people who have like phenomenal access yeah. and they're like, this is my first time. And you're like, yeah. I hate you. Yeah. You know, 150 yeah. acres of prime habitat. Yeah. Um, or, or other guys that are kind of just looking at, well, public land is kind of a different scenario. So if you're hunting private um, and you're just getting into it, what would you, what would you go after? I mean, are you, are you going food source? Are you trying to find those travel routes? What are you looking for? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it depends what kind of property you have, but like, if you, if you have a food source, hit that food source. I mean, early season, I don't think you can beat a bean field edge or a cornfield edge with some low hanging branches and looking for scrapes. I mean, my brother last year on the, on the Kansas 80, Thomas, he shot, uh, a big 150 inch 10 pointer right on the edge of our bean plot, just working the field edge, doing some scrapes. And we actually put out a, a licking branch and he was just walking. We, we literally put it out three hours before that, just right before we went into the hunt, we put that licking branch there and that buck worked straight to it and he had a 12 yard shot. So if I have no a food way. source That's to hunt awesome. over, yeah, if I have a food source to hunt over, I'm looking like early season, I'm looking at those field edges because I know they're still going to be hitting that heavy, heavy, heavy. But other than that, if it was like a first year looking at a property, I'm looking at old sign pretty heavily. Um, and I'm just looking at pinch points because, I mean, if, if it's a good spot to travel, deer are going to travel it and they're going to use it a lot. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. What yeah. about, so public land, there might be food sources on there, but just yeah. due to pressure, you got a lot of people that are like sitting at and the deer are kind of shy until, until the night. Right. So they're nocturnal. Mm -hmm. Say you don't have a food source or say you're hunting public, then yep. what are, give me some ideas for where you're yep. going. So first of all, what I'm doing is if I can do it with work, I'm hunting during the week. I'm not hunting the weekends on public hunting during the week, hands down. And then I'm going to be probably trekking in as much as I can. I'm, I, Thomas and I, if we're hunting public, we're going as far as possible. We want to get away from people. And so that's kind of our, we'll pop up on like on X is huge. We'll, we'll get on X up, see how, like how far away basically can we get from roads and what, what's back there? Is there, is there a Creek? Is there a good, is there a good ridge? Things like that. And I think a lot of it is just go see what it looks like. Get boots on the ground, go check it out. 
Um, and if you happen to come across a sign, hang a stand, chill out for an evening. If you need to just put a, a tree stand in an area that you might not get a shot at something, but you have a ton of visibility and your wind seems pretty good, hey, get up there high and just have an observation sit. I think those are super big key before maybe going in and making a strike at trying to shoot something. Gotcha. So what's the, yeah, what's the sign you're looking for? So you say yeah. if you find some sign, what are you look, what are you looking for? Yeah. So I guess I'm a, I look for like buck tracks. Like I'm always, I'm eyes to the ground looking for tracks. Some people don't waste their time with that. It depends what kind of ground you've got. Um, sure. But I'll be looking for buck tracks heavily. And then um, I'm looking for old scrapes rubs yeah i mean it tells you if a buck's in the area but rubs are kind of hit or miss but i mean if i can find a, an area with a few different scrapes um on some public that look decent i'm gonna be sitting on feeling pretty good about myself if i can the wind right okay uh no that makes sense and even even in the early season you're thinking you're like kind of looking at those scrapes just why is yep. that i i i think i've noticed even like more i think of like scrapes when they come into my mind I think of early October, but yeah. I'm also thinking like, I think bucks just throughout, like as soon as it starts to cool off a little bit in the end of August, September, I think they start going there. And I think they'll start keying in on those things. Even like in September, early September, I think they'll start keying in making some different travel to possibly go check out those old scrapes and stuff. Cause it's all cataloged up there. You got to believe it. So um, I'm looking at that. And then, yeah, if I can get a few, decent scrapes that are even if they're old and find some trails that are cutting through the area yep i'm i'm sitting that so ah that makes sense mm -hmm. you know last year i actually um so a few years ago a friend introduced me to this idea and now it seems like it's common knowledge but at the time i it was not college common knowledge for me but essentially the idea of like community scrapes scrapes that are essentially used year round that deer mm -hmm. just go and visit regardless of the time of year just to see who's here right yep and uh so last year when when i got on to my property we walked a lot of it and i did find i found one scrape that was mm -hmm. just pure dirt and it was kind of in what i assumed was close to a bedding area mm -hmm. um i had my dog with me and he goes nuts over deer and he's a hound so we get into this kind of area and he just starts howling. So I'm like, all right, there's probably, we probably just jumped deer out of here. Right. And he's just going off. And then all of a sudden I find a scrape. So I dropped the camera on that and I actually had, um, four or five good bucks hitting it in August, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. in daylight hours in August. Yeah. I had no, I didn't even check that camera till it was so far kind of back in there. It was in an awful spot that I really didn't want to walk to again. Mm. <laughs> um, which now of course is one of the best spots on the property that I know of. Mm. Um, now that I've had a chance to really scout, but they were hitting it in daylight, August, September, October. I didn't even check it till October. And I was like, Oh my God, why was I not mm. here sooner? You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely believe in those. And it's just something a lot of people don't, really believe in or don't key in until October 15th, right? They don't even yep. kind of look at them. Yeah. Um, right. And I also think that that, like there are, I think there's like permanent scrapes and like just kind of annual one-off scrapes, right? Right. right. Do, you, do you have the same thought on that? Yeah, or? Definitely, yeah. All right, well, you're the guest. People hear my voice enough. You explain <laughs> the theory. Well, it's, it's interesting because wa as walking the property as much as I do, I'll see like, 
like a freshened up scrape every once in a while. And I'm like, well, it's the middle of the summer, but I think bucks are still, I mean, deer are deer. I think they're going to check that up and send up and do whatever they want. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you've got the scrapes that'll grow back and just get hit every single October. But I have noticed that, yeah, I mean, there's certain areas that I think they get traveled enough by deer that when a buck's passing by, you can't resist it. Yeah. It just, and it just stays open year round and they just always kind of top it off. Yep. Right. <laughs> right? Yep. Um, okay. So one of the other things you mentioned was um, kind of, uh, I'm at a loss of words right now, but it's, um where you're where you set up just to watch a proper yeah just to observation watch. yeah uh, observation set yes gah i couldn't think of it <laughs> um <laughs> um so observation sets um i have you touched on that and i also would massively second that mm-hmm. because you said you know have that observation sit one or two times figure something out and then strike right yep. so like you said so if you're you know, sitting on a property and, and you're hunting it during the week, like you said, and you get like, let's just say a Wednesday and Thursday and, and Friday that you can sneak out in the afternoon. The really nice thing about early season is it doesn't get dark till like nine o'clock, right? right? Yeah. So you can actually get off work at five or even four and you can go and hunt that evening. Like no. that's one of the things I do love about it is I don't need to use PTO for mm-hmm. um, early season. So you get out there and you go hunting and you don't know where to go yet you you just like there's so much ground there's too much sign or there's not enough sign or you just like you don't understand how things lay out mm-hmm. just climbing up a tree and getting 16 feet up or 15 feet up just enough so you can see mm-hmm. out somewhere and watch mm-hmm. for an evening mm-hmm. and two evenings three evenings and then go oh man they're generally going from here to here it yeah. feels like you're wasting in my, and this is something that I, it took me a long time to get over. You and I both kind of have FOMO, which is like, oh man, what's over that next ridge or what's over okay. here? What's over there? Right. Um, and it, it took a long time for me to get over it because it, it feels like I'm wasting a killable opportunity. Like, well, I could go in there and set up and kill that deer, that doe that I just saw, or maybe I have a chance because out here in this observation set, I really don't have a chance at it because you know i'm 100 yards away or i'm 80 yards away or whatever it is mm-hmm. um but the information that gives you is pretty darn valuable oh yeah when you sit in an observation you see one deer do something on a wednesday night and then you see another deer do the same thing on a thursday night it's very likely that that's a, a high travel pattern um and i learned this from a fishing guy is like one hit is luck two hits is a pattern. Like he, that's what he says. He goes, two hits is a pattern. Yeah. Um, and then you got to go. So, yeah. and then you can actually figure out, you know, maybe if you didn't do that observation sit, you would have moved in too far and they would have caught your wind and blown out of there. Right. Yep. It's Cause, mm-hmm. and I had that happen to me last year as well. Like there's right near that uh, community scrape I was telling you about, there's four trails that run along the hillside. I sat there actually this is kind of this is a terrible example because it's opposite of my point (laughs) but uh uh it contradicts my point but i i sat in a spot twice where i uh i could see all four travel routes right and the deer were not using the one closest to me they were using the second and the third travel route and i could see them but i couldn't shoot them 
Mm-hmm. So then, um, actually, it's not that contradictory. So those were both evening sits. So then the next time I went in there, I had a morning sit and I went, you know what? I'm going to get closer to a shootable spot where I can shoot that second and third travel route. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a different time of day. Right. So they, this, a buck that I called lefty was a really nice nine point, probably would have scored 130 to 140. Mm-hmm. He came in on the first travel route, the first lower one. And he, if I would have been in my previous spot, he would have came in within 20 yards. Yeah. But instead, he came to 60 yards, stopped, stared right at me, put his nose up in the air, flicked his tail and walked away. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I, and I should have, I should have known better. I should have known better than to do that. Cause I knew it was a different time, but I was just really hoping that they were going to use those same travel routes mm-hmm. that they did previously. Right. Um, but yeah, no, those observation sets can be really key for, especially if you're public land and, and you don't know, right. Yeah. Um, just gives you so much information. I think a big, a big thing that's really hard to do is just being patient. Like when I, when I come to a new piece, I just right away, I want to know it all, but that's just not how it's going to work. You're going to screw yourself over doing that. So being patient, having a few of those observation sits and just taking piece by piece is how you're going to feel bucks. Yeah, I agree. The other thing I want to, I want to kind of stress on and, and throw your two cents in here, Nate, but Early season is very tactful. You got to be very tactful and strategic with early season. The rut, you can kind of get lucky, right? You can kind of just be in there and shit can just happen and wham, you're in it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the other things about that tactfulness and strategy is historical data and understanding how deer use a property. And to just for realistic perspective, you know, if you're hunting a property for the first time ever this year, brand new property, if you killed something within the first two weeks of season, like you are head and shoulders above 90% of the people out there because it is, it is just, it's tough. It is so tough because for a variety of reasons, but the, the biggest one in my opinion is like, deer are not limited to cover and they're not limited to food in the early season. They can eat anything. They can eat anywhere and they can bed anywhere because the leaves and the vegetation are up everywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's just tough early season, but the best way to do it is historical data and hunting the same property over and over. Um, because you're going to learn how deer like to use that property. And back to your point, Nate, sitting being patient understanding and just and just learning yeah right yeah. i mean that's that's huge yeah yeah that the early season like with the kansas 80 last year we my brother and i had hunted it basically one day so we hunted it opening day last year just because hey we're landowners it's we opening wanna, day yeah you gotta be <laughs> there's there nothing good about it we didn't see a single deer we sat the entire day didn't see well only morning and evening but we didn't we didn't see a single deer it was like whatever but we just want to be up in a tree that we own you know and yeah. uh so the next time the biggest thing about early season for us is just weather like if mm. i mean we're checking wind and cold fronts if if we can get if you can get an early october cold front get your butt in a tree i mean that's that's <laughs> I think it's one of the best times to kill a buck. Um, so, I, but like I was saying is 
um, last year, October 2nd, we were going in there trying to find a new South spot. Cause we were still, man, we were still trying to figure this property out and we got yeah. freaking downpoured on. I mean, a huge weather front came in. We didn't find any tree stand. We were just like, whatever. Um, so the next morning we went back, we, we had water damage to one of our cameras. So oh, it, was just, it, was, it was just a, what the heck are we doing kind of night. But yeah. October 3rd, we went in there and the second it was, well, October 2nd, it was like a upper 80s degree type of day. And the third, I think the high was like in the 50s. Oh, Something man. Like a 30 high. degree drop. It was, it was a 40, 50 degree drop. Swing. And Dang. I think we saw that. We were like, okay, we're sitting like 100%. Um, we have a flexible job, thank God. And we were like, we're taking tomorrow off. And sure enough, that, that October 3rd evening, we slipped through the Egyptian wheat, through the bean field, popped up into that tree. And uh, I think the huge travel route the, tree um, to the edge of the bean, bean plot okay. tree. edge of the bean. Okay. Yep. And on the way in there, like I was saying, we, we uh, cut a branch and put a little, like a scrape tree. Okay. Yeah. Out 15 yards, buried that. And we watched, we watched does in the field for a lot of the evening, just had a bunch of early movement. And basically, I mean, with 10 or 15 minutes of light left, I heard something crunching in my left, looked through and there's just a giant, 10 point like i mean 20 yards from us so i just get tom's attention i was like uh buck right here <laughs> and he just, i mean he came out into the field we had never seen we had never seen the deer on trail camera and he just i mean double longed him like that but the whole thing with that is hey it's a big first cold front of the season and these deer they're they're getting the oh man like it's about it's about time it's early october it's it's yeah. chilly that evening that was like the first evening where i like i got the the evening chills like i needed to throw on another layer um and just this huge temperature drop bucks are on their feet they're wanting to check their scrapes get to the food sources and that that was the trick early season but it was like thomas and i we were recapping that hunt we were like we don't we don't even know this property and we already killed a buck but it was just based off of hey we hunted the cold front and we knew that they wanted to be on food sources i mean that's and part of it was just luck. I mean, that's yeah. just where you wanted to go that night. So that's <laughs> the early season. For sure. I, I think I think people people sometimes discount luck and throw it all on skill. And yeah. it's definitely uh it's definitely not. I can say even like even the best of the best need luck. Yep. You know, even the best guys yeah. out there need luck. Yeah, I always yeah. It's something that I've like I've often thought that if I could really get good at strategizing and and really understand how a deer use a piece i could go in there in the right conditions and, and kill every time mm. and it's just not true because no. maybe that buck didn't bed there that night maybe maybe the coyotes pushed him out maybe another hunter was in there the night before on public maybe the farmer decided to pick his corn or decided to cut his beans or or he got drunk and rode his four wheeler through the woods. Like who, who knows? Like there's so much, there's definitely luck involved. And I think people discount that. Yeah. Um, I was just trying to put the odds in my favor and then pray that I got some luck on my yeah. side. Yeah. Yeah. We like, right. I know you were talking about annual patterns and we've got um, uh, just after the last year's trail camera data, we're going after the season similar but also different because we have all of that data and stuff so we've we had a buck that was our biggest buck for this ne this next year he uh worked through the travel corridor like three days in a row daylight and it's like i'm gonna be up in a tree 
on that travel corridor during those days because I just know that's how deer like to work it. So if you do have, yeah, like you were saying, if you do have data from previous years, put that to use big time. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So then with that, with that buck going through there in daylight hours, um, do you think that's weather related? Are you, have you checked on that at all or no? So, so during, well, with this time we did have like early season patterns, but this was also, this was November 12th, 13th or 13th, 14th and 15th. That he was in so there. I think, yeah, I think he yeah. was just, just, just covering the 80 because we have so much sure. bedding. I think he was just looking for does and just, yeah, just yeah. traveling. Have you got pictures of them yet this year? Um, that's, that's up for debate. Thomas and I, um, this would be, yes, we have gotten pictures of them. We have not told anybody that, um, we, we <laughs> do have pictures of the deer. Um, if they get shown on social media, I'm not sure. Um, it might be a <laughs> deer's going to be dead before those ever get shown anywhere, but, uh, it'll be nice. That's awesome. We have, we have pictures of our, the second biggest buck we're going after is, is, a deer that we also had last year a lot we call him club buck he put on like 40 inches so he's going to be uh oh man i mean i'm thinking he's at least a high 160s and not low 170s so we've got yeah we've got some good contenders down there yeah for sure like like i was saying earlier it's it's just completely different ball game from hunting nebraska to kansas i mean just the the buck to doe ratio is just a different ball game um the deer population at least in our area kansas seems like it's less then Nebraska where I've hunted. But okay. when I see a deer, like I'm expecting it to be a buck. Like the buck to doe ratio is just outrageous. Um, it's just, huh. I mean, it's basically one-to-one, I feel like in fields that I've seen. <laughs> so the genetics are just different. So yeah, it's hopefully, hopefully we can catch him this, this November, but we're, Dude. we're basically stacking our season for him. Just oh, for sure. Hands, looking at trail cam pictures and just trying to pin him down. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think they're so you mentioned November? Do you think either of those are killable, or do you have any killable bucks early season? Yeah, I think so. Um, the second one I was mentioning, club. So, yeah, it's really, really weird actually. So, the big, big buck, we didn't have pictures of him last year until Halloween. So, okay, we named, we named him Freddy Krueger. Um, <laughs> Halloween buck, and he's got freaking blades everywhere, but um, cool. The club, the, the 170 ish incher we could kill him early season. He's Thomas actually filmed him, um, this summer in the bean plot. He's just nuts, but, but he, he was out there in like middle of July, I think July 14th. Okay. Um, but he's killable. We have pictures of him last year, hitting it early October in daylight. Um, actually hitting that same, the same looking branch that Thomas killed his buck at. So he's, you still he's have that up there. And we know, we know their home bodies. We know their old deer. Um, so we're just, we're hoping one of them can slip up where we can get some weather in our favor for early season. So, oh, for sure. So yeah. then with that, with that in mind, like, are you guys waiting for a cold front or something before you even touch it? Yeah. So I guess with this season, it's tough because we also have some other hunts that we're going to be doing. So with season opening the 14th, we're going to hopefully hunt the 14th. Just, we like to hunt opening day, like I was yeah. saying. You um you just got to get up in the stand um probably hunt the 14th and possibly the 15th and then we're going to be gone in an elk hunt taking out some new hunters um nice. until the 25th of september okay so it's kind of that that's it's a bigger chunk there um but yeah, we'll be back days. we'll be yeah. back to hunt the late september early october hopefully the same time frame when thomas killed his and hopefully we can get some good weather in there but yeah we 
we base everything up on the weather. I mean, we're just checking. I mean, we have, like I said, we have flexible work. So we'll just tell our boss, Hey, like we're going to be here these days and we're going to hunt those days. So just <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so are you just like, what weather app do you use? Um, I, I mean, I just look up just the weather, weather station, basically national weather, whatever. Okay. Um, but I also use AccuWeather. Okay. Got it. I use, I use Wonderground. It projects 10 days out. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, I know some people use seven day out apps right. and I'm like, ah, I just use this one. Wonderground's full of, uh, ads. It's like stupid full of ads. So yeah, is AccuWeather. They're, they're, they're all terrible. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, projecting 10 days out and then just being able to be like, oh man, like day nine and 10, like we got to be in the woods because a big cold front's coming. Right. Yeah, and you, right. yeah. And then you give your boss a heads up and thankfully like my new boss is a huge hunter. So mm-hmm. I just started a new job a couple months ago gotcha. and, um, and with COVID and everything, it's a work from home kind of travel as you will job type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he's, and he, like I said, he's a big hunter and he's like, yeah, no, I'm taking off, um, close to 15 days in September for elk hunting. So, you know, if you need to take days off, like it's, it's kind of whatever, as long as you get your job done, like as long yeah. as the boss boss doesn't yeah. call me, I don't really yeah. care. And you don't need yeah. to, you don't need to tell me cause I understand how it is. Um, you know, so, um, no, it's, yeah, it's super nice to have it, have a job like that as well. And, and that's one thing that's like a whole nother topic, but just people, people want to hunt for a living. Right. And it's mm-hmm. just, sometimes it's not being, being sponsored and being in the hunting industry. It's just having a job that gives you flexibility yep. and you make like this guy that I had on my podcast uh, a few months ago, his name's Jake Downs. He's actually from um, Northwest Nebraska. Okay. Um, God, there's a big town over there. It starts with an S. I forget what it's called. What? Is it Sydney? Yeah, but yeah, he's north. He, oh, I think he's no, Scott's Bluff. Scott's Bluff. That's yeah, he's in the Scott's Bluff area. So, but he and he's like, you know, kind of close to Colorado, close to uh, uh, Wyoming, close to the Dakotas. So he can kind of like scoot around up in there. And he he likes to hunt all the time and he's an electrician. So he quit working for a contractor and just started his own company so that he can work 14 hour days during the summer. So then he can take off all of September and still be fine financially. Yeah. Right. That was his whole goal was to just like, Mm -hmm. you know, get a lifestyle like that. Yeah. So, um, and it, and it works. I mean, the dudes, the dude hunts like September and October and November, like it's nobody's business. (laughs) Um, so uh anyway like so as far as the cold fronts go when you get back are you just guys just gonna sit and wait for the right weather or are you gonna get in there beforehand yep well we'll probably just sit and wait for the right weather i mean like i say we've got a few spartans so we'll have we'll have pictures coming to us and be able to help i mean those are those are a huge advantage i know some people are iffy about them and we don't it's not like we're seeing buck picks and going in to kill bucks it's not like we're it, we we keep them at a distance we really do um but i mean you can't beat just the data of not having to go in and check cameras yeah. so we've got those in our deeper spots that we don't we can't access easily but we've got like regular cameras when we can slip by or go to our tree stand and check those kind kind of deal but yeah well based on i mean trail cams what they're doing 
last year's data. We'll definitely be looking at last year's picks. And then, uh, yeah, weather. I mean, when we see cool weather drop, high, um, high freaking pressure, we'll, yeah, we'll be down there. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and cell cams is a tough topic. Like I just yeah. bought my first one for my dad. Um, yep. He wanted it for security on the property. Yeah. It's um, big time. We, yeah, we bought it. We bought the property from a guy who um, kind of let anybody and their brother hunt it mm. um, or, and just do whatever on it. Like he just didn't, he just didn't really care. Um, yeah. We're from Wisconsin. He was from Chicago and he just, he was just a really nice old man. If you asked for permission, you got it pretty yeah. much. Um, yeah. So we still have people that just stop by just and like mess, on. like walk around and stuff. You know, we got to get a gate, but um my dad was like, you know, it'd be really nice to have one of those cellular cameras. So I ended up getting him one. Um, and I got to set it up and everything. And I imagine at some point it's going to become mine. Cause I'm just, I would rather install a gate and then yeah. just lock the gate. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that is, I know some people are dicey about that too. And I have my own uh, apprehensions about it as well, mm-hmm. just because I don't, I don't want the technology to make me lesser of a hunter. Right. I don't want to rely on it so much that if I don't have it, I'm a terrible hunter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I have seen that. Like I listened to one podcast where a guy was talking about having these cell cams on the property and he got like, he would get a buck on camera here. And then within hours he'd get it on another camera. Like it just, that's just how that buck traveled the property. And he got a picture of that buck on the first one, hopped in on his four wheeler, yeah. scooted out there, got in the tree stand and killed it two hours later. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. And to me, like, that's what I don't want that. Like yeah. that would ruin the experience for me, right. you know, cause I'm not really putting in a lot of work. He was just sitting in the cabin was like, Oh man, there he is. Like, I'm going to go now. Yeah. Um, it just kind of ruins it but i totally agree like there is a major factor to not having to enter that property anymore mm-hmm. and distribute yep. your scent and push deer around and bump deer and all that and just to have yep. have a presence there there is yep. a major factor to that for sure yeah we it's it helps me have peace of mind and security huge i mean Cause we, we tell people, I mean, with the whole Kansas city land series being open about the bucks underground hunting it, how we hunt it. We, we tell people, I mean, we've got that place littered with, with cameras. I mean, if you, we always joke, if you step on there, we're going to get a picture of you. <laughs> and it's like, we're, we're buddies with all of our neighbors. We send them a text and we give them a call and be like, Hey, go check it out for us. Makes feel better about it. But uh, yeah, they're super nice for the security reasons, but also, I mean, amazing data, not having to go in there. And it's like, we have, we, I mean, you have to draw a line. Like, I mean, we're, we're not using any data we get one day. We're not using that to hunt that day. I mean, we're, we're, we are separating those things and it's like, it's yeah, it's huge. The biggest part we got them is just be like, I want to put this in the thickest, nastiest thing and not have to touch it, you know? Sure. No, you touched on that earlier because a lot of that thickest, nastiest stuff is like bedding areas or close to bedding areas right on the edges of them and stuff. And you touched on that earlier. So hunting bedding areas is a really hot topic for public land you know the hunting beast and all that kind of information right now right um or hunting the edge of bedding areas and things like that mm-hmm. you you said in like february march you guys walked around but then 
later in come early season, you guys had not quite figured out where they were betting. You didn't, you thought they were mainly betting to the North, but then you're getting some action coming in from the South. Right. Yeah. Um, have you guys kind of figured that out a little bit more or is it still an enigma? What's going on? So it's, it's really tough. Like with, with most of the 80 acres being, I mean, thick timber, they can bet anywhere. So it's the thing we've realized is yes, they could be betting anywhere, but there's places that they prefer to bed. So a huge thing that's helped with us is walking in the March, April timeframe, but also shed season. We found, we basically found a buck bedding area and there's, there is a 10 acre piece on our 80 that we get a lot of the sheds, like majority of the sheds are in this, but so we're like, okay, that's gotta be a buck bedding area. I mean, for sure, hundred percent. Um, so that, that's interesting enough. That's in our southeast corner, but then we also have really good bedding along that that travel corridor that I was telling you about, and then up into the north. So it's like that. Those are the main bedding areas, I would say. But then there's other places. I mean, it's timber. I mean, it's thick brush. They can they can be wherever kind of thing. So that I guess last year that was the toughest thing for me. I'm like, we they could be anywhere. I mean, we just got to yeah. get lucky, basically, going to our stand and not bumping deer. But it's the way our 80 lays out. Like you saw, you saw that rectangle. We didn't, we barely hunt any of that East side because we're so worried about any way going across that property, cutting through. I mean, we could be hitting anything cause there's so much betting. So sure. that's definitely something along in the management stages in the next few years. We want to have designated heavy, good bedding areas and do some TSI and get rid of, rid of timber rid of some cover in certain areas so that help us access other things and whatnot so it's it's still tough but i mean definitely going out at this next year we've definitely got a few bedding for sure areas but they could be anywhere okay. where did that where did that buck come from that your brother shot was um I, yeah so yeah did the you, crazy did you thing about that figure that out yeah so the crazy thing about that is he came directly downwind like that's what really? blew our mind Yes, directly downwind. We were like, this is where we think. But again, we had hunted one day and like we knew very little. He came directly downwind and I mean, didn't catch our scent, which I think we were high enough in our tree and it slopes off enough that he must have something in there. Our wind must have kept us safe. But he came, we were basically, so on that bean edge, we are on the east side. He came from the southeast. Now, I mean, thinking about it, it's like, yeah, of yeah. course. He came from that southeast right underneath our tree and then out into the beans. So, I mean, that's, that's what's tricky about, about that property. I mean, they could it, like that whole bean plot, it butts up to bedding. So it's like, where are they going to come out of? I don't really know. Anybody so, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. No, um, that makes sense. So you think he came from that southeast bedding area? Yeah, I think he did. And one big yeah. thing we've done is we have this, this DR mower. It's like a heavy duty mower. And we've made big trails that we've mowed throughout the property and the deer use them big time. So that's actually been a huge help with where she put trail cameras and how we're going to hunt it. Because like I said, it's so thick that if you mow a path for these deer on this ground, they'll use it. So that's how we're, we're using wind. And that trail is cameras. really nice. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so one of the other things that you mentioned is kind of like they have preferred bedding areas, right? Yep. Um, so a working theory I have, and I, some people, I think this is different for every property and I'm sure people will send me hate mail and tell me I'm wrong on this, <laughs> but, um, 
where I find the most activity in the winter, like in the February, March, April, or actually January, February, those mm-hmm. are generally the thickest pieces of ground, right? Mm-hmm. Like the stuff that regardless of foliage, it's yep. thick in there, right? Yeah. And those are like the preferred or I call them like uh, the primary bedding areas. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these satellite bedding areas that depending on the time of year, they can bed there. Cause like you'll find, I mean, you'll walk through CRP fields on public land and find deer beds. Right. Right. But the point is, is like, that's not a bedding area. That's where they laid down for an hour or two after eating in the private ag field across the road, they came back, they laid down. And then at five in the morning, right before light, they got up and move to their primary bedding area where they're away from people. Um, So I have a working theory that like, regardless of the time of year, your primaries are what hold your biggest deer because, or they will always hold deer. Whereas these kind of auxiliary or secondary bed bedding areas Mm -hmm. might, might not hold deer. Right. Right. So if you're depending Cause like some of the pieces of public that I've hunted um, like the bed, the deer can like bed everywhere. And I've found beds all over the place um, in these little swamp, these like swamp areas that I've hunted and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was kind of like, well, if I set up here, like my wind would blow into this bed. Okay. So I should set up over here while well, my wind will blow into that bed. Well, I should set up over here while well, my wind would blow into that bed. Mm-hmm. So like they could bed anywhere. So I had to kind of say to myself, like, okay, where are the primaries? And then I just have to depend and hope to God that they're betting in the primaries and not right. any of those secondaries or auxiliaries. Yeah. And if they are like, it is what it is. And I can't do anything about it. Right. That's that luck factor that we talked yeah. about. Yeah. Um, and that's a working theory. And it sounds like you have the same kind of thought there. Yeah. I mean, we, you, you never know. I mean, a deer could be better anywhere. It's not like we've got freaking tracking devices for them. It's like, <laughs> you just don't know. I mean, we, we pray that like the wind's good that we, I mean, from where we think the deer are going to be and that we work, we do scent control pretty hard. So that's what you got to pray for. Right. And pray for rain. <laughs> um, okay. So as far as the scent control stuff goes, what do you guys do? I don't do a whole, I really don't do a whole lot of that, but what do you guys do? So we basically wash our clothes in the scent free stuff and nose jammer oh dude no i i nose jam i, I, I believe, use nose jammer dude nose jammer i am a believer i like, need to yeah i should try to get sponsored by them because i use that shit like more than deodorant oh yeah dude we, <laughs> we've tried to talk to those guys and nose jammer i'm sure there's there's great people but we've never yeah i've never, never met it through okay yeah, i've never yeah i've never met um anybody too great there like from like being able to get back from me on it. I'm sure there's great people that work for them, but it's like, I think the product is incredible. Like I really do believe it works. Um, and so we, yeah, we, we basically just wash our clothes, keep them as scent free as possible, whether it's a tote or a bag and nose jam. So sure. Yep. Okay. Um, aside from kind of, so we covered a little bit about bedding areas. We covered the food source, which is beans. Is there any other food source? I personally really enjoy acorns. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. We, I wish our property has them, but the places that it has them, they're hard to hunt. 
So like that is a huge thing early season. If you can get some, some Oaks, you're, yeah, I think you're in the chips big time, but as far what as like those areas hard to hunt, um, for, I guess for us, it was just, it was just in that bedding area. They were just so okay. hard to get to in that bedding area. Um, this next year we did do a lot of work to be able to access that area, those areas better. So I'm hoping that that's a different story this year, but for us, those big Oak ridges and stuff were in some of that, that prime bedding that was just hard to poke into. Like it, we'll go into it during the rut when we can, we can get away with that kind of stuff. But early season is, it was hard to get into. Like hard to get into like the entry and exit, like you were yeah. visible or you're. Yeah. Or... We were busting deer. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And that makes, that makes sense. Um, so and what are you, what are you trying to do to make it, make it more accessible? Yeah. So a few things we did was we lined our path. We've got so many trees. If you knock down one tree in our ground, we can line that with like brush, which helps us for visibility sake. Um, but also a lot of it was um, the time of day when we access it. Um, okay. We noticed, I guess last year, we, if we access it early, early in the dark, we got through there before the deer movement, we were, we were good to go. So accessing it early. Um, and then also we, we've mowed that down. It's like a freaking turf field. So it's like, we're not stepping on sticks. We're like raking it. So we're making sure we can get in there without making noise. Gotcha. Yeah. And then is there a specific wind as well? Um, yeah. Yeah. For that, for that, it, our Oak patch is like really pretty far North. And so for that, we wanted a South wind pushing North because it was pushing on to the neighbors where deer aren't, it's just basically a pasture. So we, we, with the gotcha. South, with the South wind pushing North, we'd hop in there. So so okay so you would access from the north then and walk into the wind yep and then just set up okay gotcha Mm -hmm. no that and that's something i think a lot of people um overlook Mm -hmm. is is your entry and access routes um yeah it's not you it's not just how quiet you are in the stand or your wind that in the stand it's Mm -hmm. it's the whole way it's it's everything about from where you park your vehicle oh yeah how you get there and how you're set up in the stand and the whole way vehicles i think is something that people don't think about like we i started really thinking about it last season depending on where we park our field because last year we had to basically park it on the road um with that egyptian wheat but now we've made this little cutout so of egyptian wheat so we can park our vehicle in there but i we would definitely notice movement based on if that car was super visible out on the road or if we tucked it into the the property more like that was a legit yeah. thing so that's one thing we focus more on this year but yeah as far as picking stands go i find the access first in the tree second okay gotcha mm-hmm. so your can you expand on that a little bit yeah so if i if i get to a good spot and i'm like man this is an awesome spot but i there's no way i can get to it like it's just either too far deep or it's through too much bedding i'm just like this isn't a this isn't a possible space like a spot to hunt like yeah there's possibly some great trees in the area, but I'll be screwed getting here every single time. So the way we have our property laid out with how thick of a bedding it is, we've like, if I can, if we can get to it pretty easy, then, then we start thinking about a tree stand. Um, yeah. If it's a, if it's a tougher spot or a really good place to hunt, that's something in our minds where like off season, let's try to make that better so we can access it easier. But I'm right away. I'm thinking like, yeah, bean field, super easy to access. Like, anywhere on that west side yeah so that's the biggest thing i try to focus sure. on because i've got i've gotten pinched too many times of being like 
this is a great tree. I want to sit here. But dang, getting in and out during season, you're stepping on leaves. You are not in a good way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so essentially you're willing to go, man, this is a great spot, but I'm going to walk away from it because there's, I just have no way to get in and out here without busting all the yeah, gear out. Basically I'd be hurting myself. If I tried hunting this spot, even if it's a good spot, but right. I like off season, like we did this last year, we've now created access to those spots that we didn't have the year before, just because we've cleaned them up or, or figured out a better travel route or made a better barrier sure. and things like that. So. No, that, that makes sense. And same, same for me, like I was, so there was a four, there's a four wheel trail that kind of, um, runs. So our property kind of looks like a T mm, right. Okay. If you're looking at it on a map, mm -hmm. so it actually runs straight up the, the, the base of the T right to the point, And then it runs to the left and nothing goes to the right. Mm, gotcha. So, and it's in the middle of the whole property, right? Mm -hmm. So last year I was using that trail to access everywhere. So um, just, I was just trying to figure out the property. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we do have some terrain features, like literally, literally we have cliffs like on our property, yeah. um, like 20 foot cliffs that is just like, I'm not quite dedicated enough to put a rope down from a tree and climb that sucker, but I'm getting to that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause I mean, I, you know, deer would never expect you to come up a cliff. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so I, I realized after season and I got to walk the property in February, March, April, when I was turning left and, and going West in that T, um, mm -hmm. I was walking through an area that deer were bedded on these hillsides and I was kind of in a Valley and they were literally just, they were able to just watch me walk mm -hmm. through the property and then move accordingly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there, we have like this, what I call a, a the knob, um, on the cell side of it, it's almost all cliff, pretty much like Rocky boulder, um, mm -hmm. some, some legit straight up cliff, but mainly impenetrable to deer, like deer just aren't going to use it. Um, goats like sheep would <laughs> yeah. sheeps and uh are like raccoons and possums come out of there but it's just like a terrible area and then it kind of gradually slopes around um kind of a, a half circle and then comes back and when it starts coming back to the west it uh drops off and the deer can start using it again right gotcha. so what i was finding was these deer would come up that north portion of the knob and then they'd circle around to that cliff. So the cliff was almost on their back side mm -hmm. and they would look back onto the property, gotcha. um, kind of like that. And they'd bed in that stuff. So essentially they only had to worry about predators from three directions versus four, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of how they were setting up. Yep. So I, in the off season, I made a plan and I found a spot where I can get up that cliff, where I can get up those boulders pretty easy. And I got a stand within, and I just set it up yesterday, um, within 20 yards of where I can get up that sucker. So I can get up and I can get in there and it's definitely a bedding area. It is pretty thick. Um, but this one area is just like open just enough that I can get a 20 yard shot. And then we clean the lane up to a 50 yard shot. So, um, so I can get in there and it's a, it's a morning like bedding area. So just to your exact point is I have to be in there well before daylight. 
yep. in order to in order to access it and that's what i'm gonna have have to do um so i really kind of the whole working up the cliff and the boulder portion i clean that out so you could drive a mac truck through that thing so yeah. i just i know yeah. where i'm going <laughs> yeah. I just don't want to get lost going yeah. up that yeah. yeah um but then you know i can make my way to that stand set up and it's pretty much going to be you know if it gets light at 6 a.m i'm going to be there until 10 or 11 a.m before i feel like i'm creeping out of there mm -hmm. has to be on a strong northwest wind right um because it's just uh it's that thick and it's that thick in there that the deer are going to be there and if i ever want to get out of there i know there's going to be deer there so if i want to get out at 10 or 11 and they're just laying down for the whole day and i'm not going to be able to shoot them or something um i need a strong wind in order to creep back out of there and get out and i also need the strong wind for entry because there are leaves on the ground like i didn't rake it out perfectly and it's right. just a little bit too far and there's a lot there's a couple logs that i have to cross things like that but again, to your, just to your point is it's a spot where I got to be well before daylight and right. get in there. But hopefully, you know, with that being said, kind of like you said, you're going to have deer moving mm -hmm. around in that bedding area, especially during their pre-rut or rut, checking those for hot does and just right. moving along that area. Yep. What, what part of Wisconsin are you from again? Uh, I live in kind of the central, just outside of Madison. Um, gotcha. That's yeah. I kind of live between Madison and Milwaukee. Okay. Um, oh, cool. We've got family up there, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, but the property I'm hunting is on the west side of Wisconsin. Gotcha. So, okay. So, yep. me and uh, Thomas, we hunted uh, turkeys up there for the first time this year. We were up in uh, Muscaday. Oh, yeah. Musk yeah. Muscaday. Yeah. <laughs> I call Mus it Muscoda, but no. Muscoda? Okay. I don't know what it is. No, it's called Muscaday. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, for yeah. sure actually yeah. cool country up there. what's that oh yeah for I sure love i love i love the layout it's way different than it was just different than what i've hunted in nebraska and kansas before so what like what kind of tim like timber are you working with like do you have the oaks or like do you have more like do you have pines or what do you have yeah on our property they we got a lot of oaks um for sure which makes kind of hunting acorns almost meaningless because mm. there's, there's so many, too many. There's too yeah. many that it's not, uh, yeah, it's not a funneling or or uh, a pinch a pinch food source. Like they can just kind of mm -hmm. go anywhere for them. Mm -hmm. And then our our property is bordered by 600 acres of ag, and the farmer actually staggers it: corn, soy, corn, soy, alfalfa. Yep. So like stupid amount of food. Mm -hmm. um, and we have we have two two um, fields on our property both 12 acres and this year um and they are also staggered coin so corn soy corn soy mm -hmm. so um we actually get like very very little daylight activity because there's just so much food that they don't really need to they're never fighting for it and um they don't they don't need to do a whole lot of daylight activity on the food sources mm -hmm. so the food plot that i talked about earlier that i it's kind of the sad food plot is yeah. close closer to a bedding area and it's planted that way in i don't know if this is illogical or not but to me it makes sense in the hopes that it will actually get them up and moving in daylight hours to get there because it's close enough 
Mm. Um, it also could have the opposite effect and they go, ah, the food's, you know, 50 yards away. I don't give a shit. Mm. Like I'll, yeah. I'll go get it at 11 PM. Mm. Um, but my other thought is if they're going to get up, say it gets dark at eight, if they're going to get up at seven fifteen or seven thirty, that's going to be their first stop. Right. Right. So that's, that's, that's my other hope for it. Um, as, is that so we'll we'll see um there are so like on the rocky craggy um bouldery areas there's a bunch of pines those are pretty much the only thing i don't know if they were planted there or what but those are pretty much the only thing that would grow in that area anyway and then we also eight years ago we had a tornado come through oh wow similar to you um similar to you we have a creek that runs we have a in the t that the actual like top t part that goes left to right Mm -hmm. um that's a North Hill side and a South Hill side with a Creek rolling through the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So um, the tornado actually only came through the South Hill side, which oh, makes the North Hill side looks beautiful and, you know, tall, mature timber, a uh, very little underbrush, you yeah. know, not a whole lot. Like you can go sit in there in the woods in there and you can see 60, 70 yards pretty easily, which is really nice. Um, the South Hill side is like rabbit hunting territory it's just just it's kind of stuff that i walk through a lot of stuff i don't really walk through this right it's multi-flower rows and down trees and nettles and just chaos um so yeah it makes for an interesting (laughs) dynamic on the whole property (laughs) um so so yeah, that's that's the property that I'm hunting, and it's actually pretty close to uh, Muscadet. I'll tell you exactly where it is offline here. Yeah. But um, yeah. but yeah, so it's hills and valleys, um, good country, and um, my fam, my extended family's from there. So um, it's kind of why my family purchased that, and we didn't have a realtor in our back pocket. I actually found this thing on Craigslist. <laughs> oh no way! <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, the property. Yeah, that land. That land goes for like four grand an acre generally, um, which is pretty expensive. But that's generally where it's at mm-hmm. um, for good hunting property in that area. And um, this was listed on Craigslist at uh, I think twenty seven hundred. So it was pretty. Yeah, we kind of we bought it within I don't know six days or something like that. Um, yeah. 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 The, it was just kind of one of those scenarios that you that you just wait for the guy the guy who owned it died his family didn't want it they just wanted to get rid of it yeah um and they were actually extremely well off as it was so they just listed it for what they thought might make sense and then we bought it <laughs> uh, yeah yeah, yeah it was just yeah it was just one of those things um so yeah that's that's the property that i, I i'm hunting um good bucks on it for sure you know, Southwest Wisconsin, Wisconsin in general, you know, holds good deer. Um, this buck right here was shot Southwest Wisconsin. Um, second day of season too, actually terrible hunt. The, one of the worst hunts I've ever had in my entire life. Um, I had three hours. I parked with three hours to hunt. So I had like a 10 minute walk and then I was in my stand. I was in the stand. It was such a bad hunt that it took me an hour and a half to get to that 10 minute walk. I forgot my release and then I've dropped my jacket and then I forgot my safety harness. And it was just, (laughs) it was just terrible. Got up in the stand, had three does come through, all of them blew on me (laughs) and took off. And then, 
30 minutes before light, that buck just came walking up and I was in an oak and he was eating the acorns right underneath me at six yards. So ended up stopping. Was that public or private? That was private. Yeah, for sure. He ended up stopping um, perfectly in the V of a tree at 20 yards. And if I shot through the V, I was hitting him in the vitals. If I didn't, if I didn't, I was hitting the tree. So I was like, well, I'm either killing you or I'm not. And uh, clearly I got him. Um, So yeah, that was, that was private in Southwest Wisconsin. There's a lot of good public out Mm. there too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of one of those areas in Southwest, Western Wisconsin. It's just low population, just real low population. So there's a lot of that land isn't um, as hunted, but takes a while to get there for anybody from Madison. You know, you're talking an hour and a half to two hours to get there. Milwaukee, you're talking three hours. So people just don't, don't go there a lot. Yeah. The thing we were surprised about during Turkey season was we had easy opportunities getting uh, permission from landowners. Like we were three for three for landowners saying (laughs) yes to letting us hunt turkeys. They were like, this is not like Nebraska. (laughs) It was awesome. Yeah, no, there's so, I mean, a lot of one of the things a lot of people don't understand about hunting turkeys not to make this a turkey podcast yeah. but uh in wisconsin um you pretty much can buy unlimited turkey tags mm-hmm. um so there's just that many and in southwest wisconsin just about you know every other person's a farmer and mm-hmm. they have nothing but hate for turkeys because they yeah. just you know destroy their crop fields and knock down their corn and everything so they can't come kill them all please yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, no, that's cool. I'm glad you had a good experience. Yeah. With that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, was there anything else, anything else you were hoping to talk about or anything else? Any, let me do this. Any final thoughts for what you could tell if somebody came to you and said, Hey man, I'm looking to hunt early season and I want to kill a good buck. Um, what, what do you think? Uh, what do you give me your number one piece of advice? Yeah. So it's somebody new, I'm going to assume they're hunting public. Um, okay. yep. Biggest thing, I can do both, but biggest thing for like a public land hunter, I'm popping up the maps hardcore and I am going to find where, like wherever is a good driving distance for me, I'm going to find like 10 good spots that I think could be money. And then I'm going to try to go to as many of those as like if this is before season like right now after the last few weeks i'm going to go to as many of those not necessarily direct, like walk into them but at least get glass on them see what the area looks like i'm gonna hone that down to a handful and then i'm gonna i'm gonna during season i'm gonna get in there see what it looks like find my sign um wait wait for the weather to drop hopefully and i mean biggest thing i'm looking for for sign when i say that is i'm looking for I mean, I'm looking for tracks. I'm literally looking on the ground for tracks. I'm looking for old sign of rubs and scrapes. Um, and if I can hit any food sources, if you can hit any field edges that you don't think you're going to get run out of there with other hunters, then I'd be, I'd be sitting those big time. And then I'm either doing an observation sit like we were talking about, or I'm waiting for a really good cold front and I'm going to hit that. Hopefully it's during the week. You don't have all your Saturday morning or Saturday evening hunters. So yeah, that's what I'm doing for public. As far as private, kind of like what we've already been talking about, what I would do personally is I'm going to be not hunting every single day early season. I'm going to really be pretty much hands off. But if I've got a really good cold front and a food source I can sit over, you can find me on the bean field edge early season. So, All right. 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Nate, for being on. Uh, yeah. Tell people where they, tell people again where they can find you. Yeah. So um, you can find Identical Draw. Um, Instagram, it's at Identical Draw. Facebook, Identical Draw. YouTube, Identical Draw. We've got we do a bunch of vlogs on there with some of our different sponsors. We've got like uh, Vortex vlogs, First Light vlogs, a bunch of other different stuff. But we also have a bunch of hunts, Western hunts, public land, private land, um, and then our huge Kansas City land series, which is the second year of. Um, we're going to be dropping, I don't know when this podcast is going to go live, but episode four is going to be up soon. And episode five, hopefully, we'll be uh, sh- having us shooting an early season buck. So, we'll, we'll, yeah, that <laughs> awesome. Goes, hopefully, yeah, it's club. Hopefully yeah, hopefully it's one of those. Yeah. Maybe Freddy Krueger will make a Maybe. make a Let's experience. <laughs> yeah. All right, Thank man. You. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you.